Shot Sports Podcast. Welcome in to the Solo Shot Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Dom Mana. Happy Solo Shot Saturday, everybody. 40 episodes. It truly doesn't feel real uh, that we've done so many. Uh, it's been pretty awesome to bring you guys a baseball takes, opinions, and news every single week uh, throughout 2023. And uh, I appreciate each and every one of you for stopping by, whether you listen live or just throughout your week, trying to catch up on what's happening in baseball. This is the most wonderful time of the year, and it's not because Christmas is on Monday. Hall of Fame ballot season is really starting to heat up. Uh, and I just have some comments, man. I've been seeing the public ballots that if you're not following Ryan Thibodeau and his team uh, over on Twitter, you can check out the Baseball Hall of Fame Tracker website, and they keep track of all the public ballots. Uh, where these Baseball Writers Association of America writers who have written for an accredited sports column for at least 10 years get a Hall of Fame vote. They can vote up to 10 names. And while many of them keep it close to the vest, a good chunk use that opportunity to show who they're voting for and why. And it's usually one of their most read articles of the entire year. I've been seeing some trends so far with the Baseball Writers Association ballot. Uh, one of which is that Joe Maurer and Chase Utley, who are both first-year candidates on the ballot, are getting almost identical support. And I understand the analytics community might come after me for this, but Joe Maurer at the catching position, which is severely, I think, underrepresented in the Baseball Hall of Fame is above the average war for a Hall of Fame catcher. And there are seven seasons in baseball history where a catcher had won the batting title. Joe Maurer has three of those seven and is one of only two catchers to have multiple. He's a Hall of Famer. I understand he played about half his career at the position, but he's a Hall of Famer. Chase Utley, he got a late start. He didn't get to 2,000 hits like Joe Maurer did. I understand he's an analytical darling. He had a stretch there where he had five, six, seven win seasons. That's awesome. He was a very good player, but 1,885 career hits, under 300 home runs, not a base stealer, a guy that was just good with the glove at a position that's not plus defensively. It's nice if you're good at defense at second base. Roberto Alomar, that's definitely part of his Hall of Fame resume, but Chase Utley to me, should not be getting equal support to Joe Maurer. Him getting well above 5% to stay on the ballot? Absolutely. But Joe Maurer, to me, is a completely different case than Chase Utley. And I hope to see there be a sizable chunk between their voting percentages when it's all said and done. And the final thing that I have to talk about is the only interesting thing with Adrian Beltre was, was he going to get in unanimously? He's a slam dunk Hall of Famer, over 3,000 hits, 477 career home runs, five gold gloves. He could do it all. I remember him as one of the last guys to drop to a knee while hitting home runs. Like, he would put that much force into it. And he's kind of a no-brainer. But there's been less than 40 public ballots, and he already has not gotten a vote on one of them. And that voter cited the fact that A-Rod and Manny Ramirez were the best of the best 
And in his article, when he was saying that their vote only voted for certain players, the other players that were voted for were the likes of Roy Halladay, who to me is a slam dunk Hall of Famer, but doesn't have the 3,000 hit moniker. And there's Derek Jeter, who is Beltre with less power and championships because of the teams he played for. So I didn't understand Beltre being left off his ballot. I know there's going to be at least one or two other people, maybe they're public, maybe they're private, that don't vote for Adrian Beltre. But I think it's an absolute shame. Uh, I don't understand how you get up to 10 votes and Beltre doesn't get one of your checks. Uh, Even the people that want to keep all of these guys on the ballot, so they're voting for someone that might fall off, like a Tory Hunter or a Chase Utley or a David Wright, if you're into that kind of thing. I just don't get them... uh, just disregarding a career like Beltre's when it should be celebrated. And to me, once Mariano Rivera broke the stigma of a unanimous Hall of Famer as a relief pitcher, I thought for sure the Baseball Writers Association would start just treating all the slam dunks the same way. And I don't know if it's going to be Ichiro next year. I don't know if it's going to be Pujols in four years. I don't know if it's going to be Miggy in five years. We're going to see another unanimous Hall of Famer, but I just don't know what it's going to take for every single writer to check the same box, even when it's not a tough question. Um, So definitely go follow Ryan Thibodeau and his team on Twitter if you're into that kind of thing. If not, I'll leave the link to his website below and you can keep track of the stats there without worrying about the social media mess that is X. Um, I'll leave the link to that after the stream. And free agency is still going on. I know the holidays, it starts to really slow down, but there were some banger moves and news before we got into the break. And the first one is Bellinger. Cody Bellinger has not signed yet. He was looked at as probably the second best bat in free agency behind Shohei Otani. And Cody Bellinger has not been signed and it's because he's reportedly looking for over $200 million. Now, if you're just looking at this objectively, a guy who's won a rookie of the year, an MVP, and a comeback player of the year, how is he not worth a couple hundred million dollars in this baseball economy? Well, if you look at the years in between his MVP and his comeback player of the year, he was a below-average hitter with a league average glove playing both outfield and first base. I'm not saying that he can't help a lineup significantly, especially if you get the Cody Bellinger we just saw in Chicago, but signing him for the long haul when we're not sure how he's going to age more years have shown us bad production than good production. Uh, It's really risky to see Cody Bellinger asking for so much money and it's no shock why a team hasn't jumped all over him yet. It's because he's asking for a heck of a lot. And maybe a team that's in desperation that missed out on some other big fish like the Red Sox, like the Giants, or even him going back to the Cubs, he ends up getting close to $200 million from one of those teams. But I just don't think he's worth $200 million, not from what we've seen from Cody Bellinger. 
and uh, being greedy around this time of year usually isn't a good look. So it'll be interesting to see where he signs. He's now the big fish because the rich have gotten richer. The Los Angeles Dodgers have agreed with overseas free agent Yoshinibo Yamamoto with a 12-year, $325 million deal, which is really $375 because they have to pay his Bison's team in the PCL $50 million for his posting fee. $50 million also of the $325 million is a signing bonus just for him picking Dodger Blue. And I don't know how Yamamoto said no to the Dodgers if he went somewhere else. They brought Shohei Otani in, and they had Shohei, Mookie Betts, and Freddie Freeman at his visit, and they gave him over $300 million with multiple opt-outs, which is what he was looking for. This is insane. Everyone's talking about how the Dodgers spent a billion dollars on Yamamoto and Otani. But if you're looking at their investment in the rotation, they also extended Tyler Glasnow for an extra $136 million. This is an insane rotation when you think about it for 2025 and beyond. Otani will not pitch in 2024. But in 2025, they'll be getting Dustin May and Tony Gonsolin back. Walker Bueller and Bobby Miller and Emma Sheehan will still be there. And you'll have a big three of Otani, Yamamoto, and Glasnow, all making crazy money at the top. So the rich get richer in a lot of ways. But I just want us to all pause for a second because I talked about last episode, Yamamoto reportedly getting $300 million. It's risky. He's never thrown a pitch in the major leagues. Now, there have been a ton of successful pitchers to come over from Japan and succeed in MLB. Most recently, Kadai Senga in 2023. But $325 million is a huge investment. And even though he's shown it in the World Baseball Classic, if this deal doesn't work out for the Dodgers, this could go down as the riskiest offseason in the history of all sports. Tyler Glasnow has not pitched over 120 innings in a single season. He's a guy that's had Tommy John. Shohei Otani having his second Tommy John. We don't know what kind of pitcher he's going to be in 2025 and beyond. And then Yamamoto, who has not thrown a pitch in the major leagues. So that's over a billion dollars. And not that anything's a sure thing in baseball, but they're all guys that carry heavy risk the Dodgers saved up a lot to be able to afford these guys I expect them to also add a couple smaller pieces including Clayton Kershaw I expect to resign for 2024 to help them bridge the gap to Otani pitching again but it is just unbelievable the offseason they've had I think it's really put the world on notice uh, that baseball and big contracts is still a thing and that there's a lot of money to be made in baseball um, uh, even in the overseas market with Yamamoto and Otani garnering that type of money, uh, just absolutely unbelievable. I'm super happy for Yamamoto. Uh, 
I think we need to step back for a second. It's always nice to reflect during the holidays. But Yamamoto, without pitching a single inning in Major League Baseball, gets $325 million, 12 years. Shohei Otani, after getting a second Tommy John surgery, putting his pitching future in question, gets $700 million. And don't forget, Jackson Churio of the Brewers getting $82 million, only playing six games in AAA, never playing an inning in Major League Baseball. It's been a historic offseason for a lot of reasons. And I'm not even talking about Juan Soto getting traded for the second time in his young career and all the other guys that can be traded and will be moved. It's been a crazy offseason before the new year even hits. And I'm just super thankful that I've been able to, to cover it, to react to it. There's just so many dollars being thrown around. And I think it's great for the future of this game. Uh, there's so much potential with the Dodgers having a marketing icon like Shohei Otani. And I think they're going to make a ton of money. I think they're going to bring a lot of new fans to Major League Baseball. And I'm excited to see what happens because when you're paying your starting rotation over a billion dollars for the next four or five years, you're really going to have to uh, deliver in the championship department. They have that 2020 World Series title, which I still count. Uh, I'll t t call the awards for the season Mickey Mouse Awards, but I will not call the title a, a Mickey Mouse title because they did play normal playoff series against the best teams in the league. Um, but they are in desperate need of another championship. And I hope that they get there uh, in the near future. Cause seeing Shohei Otani playing in October, uh, ideally both ways in 2025 and beyond is going to be must watch TV. Uh, so the rich get richer I don't think the Dodgers are completely done. I do think you will not see another mega deal out of the Dodgers, uh, but they got the big fish in Yamamoto, and now all the other teams that were in on him, they are backpedaling. They are calling Jordan Montgomery's phone and Blake Snell and calling on Corbin Burns and Dylan Cease and seeing what the price is because Yamamoto went for way more, I think, than anyone thought at the start of the offseason as – we saw who the big players were. Uh, it heated up, and like I said, it got reported to that it was going to be 300-plus million because they don't have to go any capital, and he's 25. I hope it works out for the Dodgers, but there's still a lot of great arms on the market and a lot of teams that need pitching. Pitching wins championships. It's super important for depth, and I'm excited to see the kind of contracts that we see out of Snell and Montgomery. Going forward, will it be more so in the Aaron Nola extension realm, or will they get an exceeding amount of money that wasn't expected because the Yamamoto suitors missed out? Uh, a lot to watch going forward. And here at the Soul Shot Sports Podcast, we like to throw it back down the third baseline to this day in baseball history to keep the rich history of this sport alive, whether it be a player, an event, or Something that I just think is really cool. And on this date in 1975, George Brett, 
decided with his manager to switch his number from 25 to 5. And I want to start this off before I get into George Brett, that if you haven't watched the Brett documentary that MLB Network put out earlier uh, this month, it was amazing. Uh, George Brett is one of the most charismatic baseball stars of his day and arguably of all time. Uh, he He's someone that's just super fun and had an amazing career. But George Brett wore 25 during his first two stints in the major leagues. And when he was becoming an everyday player, he asked his manager if he could wear five uh, to honor Brooks Robinson, his favorite player the human vacuum cleaner who was looked at at the time as arguably the greatest third baseman ever. The Royals obliged and the rest is history. George Brett went on to compile 88.6 career war in over 10,000 at bats. He got 3,154 hits, 317 home runs. He scored 1,583 runs and drove in 1,596. He stole over 200 bases. I think that's kind of a sneaky thing people don't think about with George Brett. But what I absolutely love, more walks than strikeouts, 1,096 career walks, 908 career strikeouts, a career 305 hitter. And George Brett, while most people in the modern day know him for the pine tar incident, that bat is displayed prominently at the Baseball Hall of Fame. I always think of him as just a clutch hitter. And this is someone who helped the Royals win the 1985 World Series, helped them win the 1980 American League pennant, and most importantly, is the only man in Major League Baseball history to win a batting title in three different decades. Yes, he won the 1976 batting title, batting 333, so one in every three official at-bats. George Brett got a hit. Then in 1980, during that American League pennant season where they lost to the Phillies in October, he chased Ted Williams that season and finished with a slash line of 390 batting, 454 on base, and a 684, uh, 664 slug. My bad. His OPS plus that season was 203. The average major leaguer is 100. So George Brett was 103% better than the average hitter in 1980. He was a monster that year. And it's no shock that that was his one and only MVP. And then, you know, he just messed around later in his career. And at 38 years old, he won the batting title again, 329 in 1990. This is a guy that just flat out hit. He was not scared of the big moments. He wanted to be up with the game on the line. and. Something I think that doesn't get talked about enough with him is that he was a good defensive third baseman. Not elite, not great, but good. He won one gold glove in his career, but his defensive metrics are slightly above average. They're positive. So he's not someone that was just a hitter that found a place in the field. He was able to field the third base position while putting up these elite hitting stats. So big shout out to George Brett, um, one of the greatest hitters of all time, one of the greatest third basemen of all time. Uh, it's funny that he also led the league in triples three times uh, during his playing career. So a guy that had some sneaky speed to go along with his 
great hitting tool and his solid glove. Speaking of returns and solid gloves, Andrew McCutcheon has announced that he is returning to the Pittsburgh Pirates on a one-year deal. I'm super excited to see this because I kind of shed a few tears last year when Andrew McCutcheon went down because he's one home run away from 300 career home runs. This is a guy who has 48.6 career war. He was on pace to get two, three wins last season and a 276 career hitter. He's broken the rule of 2000 last season, 2048 hits. He has 1173 runs scored. He's driven in 1,045 runs, and he's also stolen 216 bases. So not an amazing amount, but a respectable amount. Um, And this is a guy who won an MVP for a two, three-year period, was considered one of the top 10 players in the sport. I don't take that lightly. And I'm excited for him because unlike Zach Greinke and Clayton Kershaw coming back for 2024 when they're already lock hall of famers they're just chasing that lock stat of 3000 k's andrew mccutcheon is a fringe hall of famer and by him coming back getting over 300 home runs helping the pirates continue to bring their young players along i just think it's going to look really good when it's his time on the hall of fame ballot i'm not saying he's going to get in through the writers i'm not saying he's going to be a first ballot guy but a guy that's going to merit consideration Five-time All-Star. He also won a gold glove. Solid fielder. Early in his career, playing center field. He moved to the corners later. Just a solid guy out there. Nothing special, but could field the position. And won four silver sluggers in center field. Really awesome guy. Drafted 11th overall. And uh, I'm excited to see him back in a Pittsburgh uniform again. I was excited when he signed there last offseason. And to see him come back get over 300 home runs. It's going to be great for his Hall of Fame chances. I appreciate each and every one of you who spent part of your Saturday here with me, uh, whether it be today or any of the previous 39 Saturdays that I've done. Uh, Hugo, Orlando, everybody that's in the chat, thank you so much. Uh, Merry Christmas to all of you that celebrate. I just want to put it out there that I will be taking next Saturday off uh, kind of just to take a step back. I don't expect a ton of deals to be done uh, between Christmas and New Year's. And I'll be coming back at you in 2024 within whole year of Solo Shot Saturdays leading into the season as well as the postseason, offseason, Hall of Fame results and voting as well. A lot of great stuff to cover coming up. And I can't wait to share it with you guys around the bases here on the Solo Shot Sports Podcast. You can follow me on the app formerly known as Twitter at DominicMana44. I've been reposting every single uh, Baseball Hall of Fame ballot that Ryan Thibodeau and his team has received, as well as reacting to all the signings and different moves and different chatter that's been going on so far this baseball offseason. I appreciate all of you hope you have an amazing solo shot Saturday, amazing holidays and new years with your loved ones. 
and I'll catch you guys in 2024. Peace.